We are continuing our trek through Ephesians. Ephesians 3 is our text today, if you want to open your Bibles to that. Last week, we looked at how the gospel brought two hostile groups together and how it reconciled Jew and Gentile. At one time, only the Jews were the people of God. The Gentiles were outsiders. But now the gospel message is that all people are included, and Jew and Gentile, who at one time were enemies, are now made one in Christ. It's an amazing miracle of reconciliation. Ephesians 3, then, is Paul's role in this message of reconciliation, his role and call to ministry. One commentator calls this text Paul's unique privilege, his unique privilege of sharing this amazing gospel message. And, and it's the same for all of us. We have this unique privilege of sharing the gospel of Christ. When I was working on this text and I, seeing Paul reflect on his role in ministry and his unique privilege, I, I started reflecting on my role in ministry because I'm at this point of life, you know, after 45 years in ministry, uh, you know, just reflecting on what I do. Is it a unique privilege? Yeah, but it's also a duty. Sometimes it's a pain. Sometimes it's fun. There are times I debate, is doing ministry for Jesus a joy or is it torture? Sometimes it's a little bit of both. And this is not just for someone like me in paid ministry. This is for any of you who are involved in doing Christ's work. So I'm talking to you, Sunday school teachers, ministry leaders, elders, trustees, volunteers. Uh, if any of you see your job as a ministry, like a teacher or a nurse or, or whatever it is, serving Christ is unique and it is a privilege. But sometimes it is hard. There's a word in the book of Revelation that is so important because it helps interpret it, and that is the word like. John sees what looks like a sea of glass. Uh, there's four living creatures. The first was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like a man, the fourth like a flying eagle. And all through the book, you see that word like, 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 like. And the reason is, it's hard to describe what John is seeing. Well, it's like, and he uses me metaphors and similes. Well, in the same way, how do you describe this calling we have, this ministry of Christ has given to us, this really indescribable privilege? What's it like? How, how do you describe it? Ministry is hard, painful at times. You're under attack from the fiery dates, darts of the evil one, and yet it is the most joyful thing in the world. Paul went through unimaginable difficulties, and yet he talks about his joy all the time, a unique privilege. And we're all called into ministry, in case you're wondering, if you're baptized, you're a minister. There are various forms of ministry, but we are all called to be par part of the good news of the kingdom. So here's Paul's take on his calling. Chapter 3, verse 1. This is from the New Living Translation. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me this special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to, make, to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan 
which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. He talks about it a privilege a couple times here, a unique privilege to be a minister of Christ. And I think sometimes I forget that. Maybe you do too. Forgetting was one of the big problems with the Israelites in the Old Testament. They forgot. You have forgotten what God has done for you. Do not forget. Remember, remember it all throughout the, throughout the Old Testament. And I think we church people too sometimes forget. And maybe that's why Sunday school teachers drop out or church members drop out or ministers drop out. Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. But sometimes we are. So Paul's personal testimony is a reminder of the unique privilege of our calling. So this sermon is just a reminder. Most sermons are just reminders. A reminder uh, to help us not only serve him, but to stay the course and to be encouraged when we get discouraged. So from his testimony of his role, I want to suggest some helps for us to grasp this unique privilege and calling we have. Number one, we must remember who we are. There's a lot of talk of identity crisis these days. Who am I? For us preachers, we have identity crisis. You know, what's my role? Am I a counselor? Am I a leader? Am I a mediator? Am I a holy man? Am I an administrator? Am I a fundraiser? Am I a PR man? Am I a manager? Am I a disciplinarian? I mean, the list goes on. Ministers have been compared to chameleons. They have to change colors with whatever situation comes along, and he has to do some things that he's probably not gifted to do. The story of a chameleon who got along fine until he ran into a scotch plaid, and it killed him. And a lot of ministers, you know, are being killed in ministry because it is tough. And that's why we need the church. Part of the reason ministers get killed, we try to do everything. And that's why we need the church with various gifts and abilities and people functioning and carrying on. Some of you are doing ministry, and it's not always easy. So one key to helping us is our identity. A lot of Christians, I think, really don't know why they're saved. Why am I saved? Is it to sit here and listen to this guy for the rest of my life and plop money into the plate? Is that who I am? Is that why he's created? There's got to be more to it than that. Uh, and the question for the church is not, first of all, what should we do? Mission statements and visions and plans are all fine and dandy, but our first need is our identity. Who are we? Because what we do flows from who we are. So Paul describes himself, first of all, who am I? I'm a prisoner. He actually was a prisoner of Rome. If Paul had never followed Jesus, he probably would have never been, seen the inside of a jail. But in a deeper sense, he said, notice he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner because of Jesus. Now, in that culture, no self-respecting religious Greek or Roman would have considered himself to be a slave or a prisoner of his deity. But Paul was not ashamed to be called Christ's property. His title was not priest or rabbi or scribe or reverend. The titles in the Bible are servant shepherd, slave, prisoner. And I'll tell you, there's times I feel like a prisoner. I'll bet there's times you feel like a prisoner. I've resigned several times from the ministry. I'd say on average I resign about once a month, usually on Monday. I resigned about 500 times in my time of ministry. I just want to quit. I'm tired of the prison. I want out. I'm sure many of you have had some of the same feelings. Let me out. I'm a prisoner. But you know what? Not all prison is bad. Marriage is a prison, isn't it? Rare, you know, some restrictions. Raising kids is a prison, and it's not all bad. I'm a prisoner, but a prisoner with a purpose for you Gentiles, what Paul says. 
He says it's a price he pays for others. And you who serve, you have this unique privilege to be a prisoner with a purpose for Jesus. Don't forget that. Who am I? I'm a steward. Verse 2, he talks about this special responsibility. The actual word is steward in, in the Greek or administrator. And we've all been given this amazing gift called the gospel. And we are stewards or administrators of this gospel to disperse it to others. I remember when I was a kid, I used to sit in church. My dad was a preacher, and I would hear this gospel message week in and week out, and I'd hear how people need Jesus, and millions of people are outside of Christ, and I would look around, and I'd think to myself, remember, I'm a junior high kid. I don't think these people are getting it. Why don't people get more motivated and excited about this? I mean, this is life and death. Now, again... I'm a little naive kid and all that. I mean, what's wrong with these people? We are stewards of the greatest treasure of, in humanity, and, and we are the cure for cancer, and we're keeping it to ourselves? So part of my calling to become what I've you know, become a minister was from those observations when I was 12 years old, how can we not share this? We are stewards. We have this special responsibility with this message. That's who I am. Who am I? Paul said I'm an apostle. The word apostle is just a simple word, actually. It's not this big highfalutin word. It simply means someone who's sent or an ambassador. Uh, it could be translated delivery boy. I'm to deliver the message to the people. Another role in my own personal calling, and I've told you this before, so excuse me for uh, repeating myself, but uh, it has had so much impact in my life. It came from a Baptist preacher at the North American Christian Convention back in the 70s. I just started preaching in ministry. And in the front of my Bible, I wrote a sentence that he had said that it just has never left me. He said, oh, God, help me never get used to seeing boys and girls, men and women, go to hell. Help me never forget that. Help me never get used to that. Help me to realize and never forget what is truly important with all the other distractions we have. Help me never forget. Help me never get used to seeing that. Every one of us in this room today knows people who are going to hell. We all know someone. And we are apostles, we are sent, we are the delivery boy, we are stewards of the good news with a special responsibility. That's our identity. Who am I? I'm a servant or a slave. Slaves do what the master tells them. The slave has no authority except what has been delegated to him. Slaves don't ask, what can Jesus do for me? Slaves don't ask, will Jesus make me happy? No, his wish is my command. I'm a slave, and I will do what he tells me to do. And believe it or not, that actually takes a lot of burden off. I just obey, just do his desires and his commands, and it's actually freeing to be his slave. Who am I? I'm a sufferer. Paul expected to suffer because he served the gospel. He knew there'd be a price. Who am I? Am I a consumer? Am I a spectator? Is that my identity? Or am I a slave, a minister? A unique privilege, a unique calling, but sometimes it's tough. I ran across this little item. Uh, what percentage of a pastor's time is spent in each of the following areas? I thought this was kind of interesting. Prayer, 3%. Study and preparation, 8%. Member care and counseling, 6% of his time. Leadership and administration, 2%. And 81% of a minister's time is spent on stupid little things pastors were not trained for, rarely understand, and are not in any job description. That's, there's a lot of truth to that. It is unique. Paul had a trade. He was a tent maker. But if you ask Paul, who are you? He never says, I'm a tent maker. You know that? 
Like we would say, you know, I'm a minister, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse, whatever. No, he never says that. He says, I am a steward. I am an apostle. I am a servant. I'm a sufferer. And because he knew who he was, his identity, he was able to fulfill his ministry and hang in there fulfilling his ministry. It starts here for all of us. If we're going to fulfill God's work in us, we have to know who we are. Here's the second thing. To understand our unique calling in ministry, we must remember the mystery. Three times the word mystery is used in this text. The New Living Translation says a mysterious plan. What is this mystery? It's not some deep, dark, inexplainable truth, but it is a secret which was once hidden and now revealed. It is God's plan that he had from the beginning of creation and now has been disclosed and revealed through Jesus Christ. And the mystery here he talks about is that Gentiles now participate with Israel in salvation and the whole world has access to this promise, not just a select group. And of this amazing gospel of reconciliation, I, you and I, have been made ministers, and it is a privilege. I, I just shake my head sometimes. I get to see some of the most amazing stories of people, and it's almost miraculous. I, I saw this mystery work with Carson Graves, young man, newly married. He had a very nominal church background, and by the time I met him, he was an agnostic. Long story short, he became a believer. And the Saturday night before his baptism, he called me, and he had just caught his wife in bed with another man. His wife was raised nominally in the church, claimed to be a Christian, and I thought this would destroy Carson's faith. But he went through with the baptism the next morning, and went through all kinds of anguish and pain, as you can imagine. But he was also put on a journey of incredible grace and renewal, eventually started doing inner city work in Denver, he would spend his Christmas Eves on the streets ministering to homeless people. He went basically from an atheist to a missionary and, and the incredible privilege to see this mystery at work in Carson Graves' life. Some of you have witnessed similar stories of God's work. Some of you are amazing story of God's work. So ministry is difficult. Paul never said he liked working in a church. He never said he liked being a missionary. He never said it was fun sitting in jail. But for Paul and for a lot of people who serve, and I see this all the time, he talks about the joy. I see missionaries and ministers talk about the joy. You know, some of you doing your work in joy. It is difficult, but it is also the most fulfilling of any profession. There is no higher purpose than the mission of God. So it is difficult, but it is also rewarding. It is hard. But it's wonderful. And then in verse 10, he talks about how this mystery is made known. And he said it is through the church. The church is the strategy of God. Jew and Gentile brought together in the same corporate body, bring, showing unity to the world and sharing in the good news. And there's times you wonder, I, I know I wonder, why did God ever build the church? I mean, it is so flawed. Someone's compared the church to a big old ship. She creaks and she rocks and she rolls. And at times, she makes you want to throw up, but she gets to where it's going. And I love the church. It is an amazing privilege. I love you. I love serving Mount Pulaski Christian Church. But sometimes, you're an amazing disappointment, you know? You've had that, and sometimes, I'm an amazing disappointment to you. I get that. I had a professor who would say, the fact the church even exists is positive proof that it is of God. Only God could keep that thing afloat. And I think today we're suffering because of a lack of understanding of what the church is for and our theology of the church. Some see the church as a gas station where you 
fill up your spiritual gas tank when you're running low. And you, so you've got to come and get a sermon and get some music, and it'll keep you going for the next week. And if it doesn't fill you up, you need to find another gas station. Or the church is a movie theater that offers entertainment, and you go for an hour of escape, hopefully in comfortable seats. And if it's not entertaining, well, you quit or go somewhere else. Or the church is a drugstore where, where you can fill the prescription that will deal with your pain. And, and for many, the church is therapy. Or the church is a big box retailer that offers the best products in a clean and safe environment for you and your family. A great service at a low price all in one stop. And that's not all, all wrong. But they all have one thing in common. They're all about me. Fill me up. Entertain me. Take away my pain. Give me the programs my family and I are looking for. It's pure consumerism. How can Jesus work in that? You never hear a slave talk that way, or a steward, or a prisoner. I've had people say, Mark, the church is just so bad. And I ask, why do you think that's odd? You heard of Laodicea, and Corinth, and Sardis, and Ephesus? I mean, Paul's dealt with churches like these and others. I mean, nothing's really changed. That work in the church is a challenge. It's always going to be that way. And it can be painful at times. But there's also so much good in the church, so much to be thankful for. I, I think here about JHM and HS, HSM and Big Wednesday and Sunday School and Vonderleaf Ministry and counseling and benevolence. It all happens from the church. Funeral dinners, um, parish nurse ministry, fellowship, facilities, finance, greeters, missions, worship, and countless ways that people just serve you know, off, you know, in the background and, and, and helping others. And one of the questions, I remember when I first came, my first year here, I asked this question, if this church disappeared, would anyone in the community miss it? I didn't know what the answer was then. Today, I would honestly say, yeah, Mount Pulaski would miss Mount Pulaski Christian Church if Mount Pulaski Christian Church all of a, uh, all of a sudden disappeared. The church is imperfect, but it still reflects the light of Christ. It still is the strategy of God. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in Ephesians 1.22 would be almost shocking to some people. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church because it is the dwelling place of God and the strategy of God. And as ministers and as servants, volunteers, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember the mystery and how it works. It's an amazing mystery. And the strategy, which is the church, and fourth, we must remember our mission. The grace we receive is a grace of assignment. Romans 15 talks about the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel. First Corinthians, Paul says, I am compelled to preach. It is a privilege, an amazing privilege to witness God's grace and power. When one person repents and turns toward God, what happens in heaven? Angels rejoice. They rejoice. We can rejoice with them. Baptisms, what a privilege to see people take that step. That's all part of our mission. But then there's the other side, and you just wonder, what's this got to do with anything? When my son Josh was a teenager, and he was here for a while, you know, and he's a wonderful young man, as you all know. But anyway, an elder said, I saw your son stretching his neck to look at a girl walking down the street. Now, Josh may be 16 years old. I didn't know what to say. I was tempted to say, well, good. What do you want him to look at? <laughs> Ministry can be funny. Ellen tells me stories about your two and three-year-olds that are just hilarious. I could do a dull sermon on that someday. Rob and Garrett, they've got some good ones. Even adults, you're pretty hilarious sometimes. 
It can be funny. It can be fun. And ministry can be hard. Sometimes ugly. Bob Lowry was my mentor over at LCU. He's passed away now. But I remember he told me when his son Brian decided to go into full-time ministry, Brian's mother Marilyn cried. Because they'd seen some of the hardship. Uh, We have people in our own church who will not serve today because they've been told. It's awful. (laughs) But it's also wonderful. Seeing people reconcile, seeing people minister to others, Watching a couple vow a lifelong commitment to marriage, what a privilege. Seeing children sing about this message, seeing teenagers get their life pointed in the right direction, seeing a woman go through a long road of forgiveness of her dad, seeing marriages miraculously saved, seeing a godly saint pass on to their reward. By the way, Juanita Stevens from this church, Wonka, passed on to her reward just a couple days ago. What a privilege. We get to share in this gospel. So in verse 13, after all this, Paul makes this request. He says, I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged. Yeah, I'm suffering, but they're for your glory. Don't lose heart. And how can Paul not encourage us, knowing what he went through and the joy that he still had? And you who teach Sunday school, you who work with youth, and you who are ministry leaders or elders or trustees or finance or whatever, you you students at school and those of you who go to work and you see that as a ministry, do not be discouraged. Remember, you're a prisoner with a purpose. You're a steward, an apostle, and a servant, and sometimes a sufferer. You remember the mysterious plan and how it works in people, and sometimes it works in ways you don't even see. Remember the mission to take Christ to people and to be Christ to people and remember the strategy. It's still an imperfect church, you and I. So I thought about this text. I got to thinking, you know, the hardest part of ministry is not others. You are not the hardest part of being a minister. And people in the world and outside the church are not part of it. The hardest part of being a minister is me. And keeping my own spiritual sanity and strength because it is so easy to get cynical and discouraged. And when I remember what Paul says in this, what an incredible privilege. When I can just step back and see the gospel fresh again, and once in a while, I think all of us need to remember that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this unique, amazing, sometimes hard, sometimes wonderful privilege of serving you. Help us to remember Help us to never forget that we are your prisoner. Prisoners with a purpose. We are slaves, stewards, and apostles. Help us never forget that your church is the carrier of light to this community and to this area. Help us remember this is life and death. This is eternal destiny. And there is no higher calling. There is no higher work than the work of Christ. And it is a privilege. A unique privilege. 